Welcome to the Solo City Church Podcast, a podcast for the glory of Jesus and the edification of the church. The following is a recent sermon from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We hope you enjoy. This is the word of the Lord. Like, these are his words to us. So I pray that we would savor them this morning and enjoy them. So, uh, Matthew 22, starting in verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. And the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those who murdered those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Father, we just come this morning, God, just in all of you. Right now in heaven, there are angels, thousands and thousands of angels crying out, God, just worshiping you, God. Day and night, night and day, they're worshiping you, Lord. And they love you, God. And the host of heaven are singing your praises, Father. And I just desire that for our body, God. I desire our hearts to just be burning Jesus with a passion and a love and a desire, God. That our hearts would be so in love with you, Jesus, that we can't help but go out into the streets like in this parable, God, that we would run, Father. Because there is a such place that has weeping and gnashing of teeth, God, that is separated from you. And I pray, Father, that our hearts would just see that this morning, God, that there are people in this city, God. We're so concerned with going to other countries, God. And yes, that is good. But here, God, there are people who don't know you, Father, that are dying. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would just set our hearts, God, not on a task at hand, God, but on your glory, Jesus, and on your presence and on your goodness and your faithfulness, God, that you sent Jesus, your son, to die on a cross, God. He cried out, asking that this cup would pass from him, Jesus. He looked at you as his father, and he cried, Father, let this cup pass, but not his will, but your will be done, God. And that was your will, was to crush him. Father, for our sake. Please, Jesus, let us believe the gospel, God. Let us believe your word that it's true and that it's life-giving, God, and there's people who don't know it. Oh, man, God, I just I just love you so much, Lord. I love your heart and your kindness and your gentleness and how it leads us to repentance, Lord. And I thank you for this body, God. I thank you for a morning, Lord, just to come and to be with you. I pray, God, that it wouldn't be like any other morning, Lord. Let your spirit lead us, Father. Speak through Alex this morning, God. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would just lead him as he teaches his text, Lord. I pray that conviction would fall, God, that salvation would happen in this place today in a change of heart. 
God, we love you so much, Jesus. We love you. We love you, God. We love you. In your name, amen. Thank you, Paige. Wow. Before we go into this, I want to just take an opportunity and uh, share a little bit about what we just experienced in worship. And just kind of give you guys a paradigm to think about worship. I know some of you guys um, are not super, I guess, uh, experienced. I don't be experienced is probably not the good word, or probably probably don't have a lot of uh, face time uh, in our particular worship culture. I guess that's a good way to say it. Um, and I just want to tell you kind of how we think about worship really quickly, so it gives you kind of a paradigm to to engage worship in the weeks to come. Uh, I'm going to teach on this soon. But uh, just for this morning, I want to encourage you that um, there's a couple things in the Bible, in the New Testament, about singing. And there's two, there's two things biblically that we see about what, what singing songs of worship are. Number one is we sing them to God. And we give God praise for what he's done for us in the gospel. But number two, we sing songs to one another. And what I believe is uh, that, that we see biblically and we know about God in general is that um, as we worship him and we set our gaze upon him and we fix our attention upon him, that it is mutually benefiting on two fronts. Number one is it's benefiting in that it is, it is praising Jesus because he's worthy of praise. Number two, it is building us up and increasing in us a faith and a love for him um, that God wants to do in us. Uh, Jonathan Edwards talks about eternity, and you guys heard me say this before. Um, he talks about what eternity is going to be, and eternity is going to be about worship. This is what it's going to be about. And it's awesome that we get the first fruits of that here. But uh, Edwards offers us a really good paradigm when he says that in eternity, as we are worshiping God, we are going to be ever increasing in our knowledge of who he is, yet we're going to always be full of knowledge. It's kind of hard to understand that. And what he says is that um, imagine taking a glass of water, dumping it into another glass of water, and you just keep dumping it. And it's an unending uh, glass of water that's just full of water. Or probably a better analogy would be imagine putting a glass of water underneath a faucet and the, and the water never going off. And eventually, right, the, the water overflows the cup. And in eternity, what Edward says is that we're going to always be, the cup's always going to be growing, yet the cup is always going to be overflowing because that's the infinite uh, nature of who God is. So as we enter into worship, there's a few things, a few implications of that, and I think that's a biblical point that he makes. A few implications are that God is teaching us who he is in worship, okay? But then number two, we are extolling God for who we know him to be. So there's a couple different dynamics that are happening. The ways that those, those things happen are we, uh, we are in a posture of prayer, worshiping him. God, through his spirit, can reveal things to us. Number two, we sing to one another, according to the, to the book of Colossians, uh, that we're to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, addressing one another in those ways. So corporate worship is an opportunity to come and do that. Um, so one thing that we do that may be a little different from your experience is this, is that we, we have space in songs. And we, we, give, we give room for God, number one, to speak, but then also for you specifically to extol Jesus 
in song, in your own way, spontaneity. Spontaneity. Wow, that's not even the word. I was just saying. And um, I would just encourage you guys to press into that on those fronts. I hope that helps you some. Um, I think that what we want to see happen is we want to see us mutually encouraged as we experience the worship of the saints together. And while all that is happening, God would be given the glory that is due His name. So I hope that encourages you as we, uh, as we move into the sermon. Today we're talking about a wedding feast. And if there's ever been a season of the church where we've been in a season of weddings, now is the season. Uh, Tyler and Stephanie just got married. John and Darian getting married is coming up on the horizon. Anthony and Lizzie, Nathan and Sherry. Man, Jesus is doing an amazing thing here. That is amazing. One of the fruits of God's kingdom is uh, when we take it upon ourselves to follow through in obedience as God convicts our hearts with this covenant of marriage. Because in marriage, when God gifts it, it is a glorious depiction of the gospel in a way that the culture cannot see fully apart from marriage. God's given us that. And as you think about that, I want you to think about marriage. Think about what we experienced. Uh, many of you guys were there at Tyler and Stephanie's wedding. Such a glorious day, standing there at the end of the aisle. And here I am with Tyler. We're watching Stephanie walk down the aisle. So many of you guys were there. And what I loved about that wedding is that our church made that wedding happen. And such a picture of the kingdom of God. Such a picture of, of what the church is supposed to be. Like, without that wedding, that wedding doesn't go down the way it goes down. And I know Tyler and Stephanie would say that. And it was such a beautiful thing. We're watching them walk down the aisle. And this is one thing that's always been consistent in, uh, in my heart as I have attended weddings. Is this abundance of joy, excitement, delight, beauty, anticipation. Even if I don't really like the people. <laughs> like I'm still filled with that. Probably just because the idea of a wedding is beautiful. Like God in his sovereign goodness choosing to, to knit two people together. That is, that's the glory of the Lord, guys. And it's put on display for us to see. And today, what I honestly believe Jesus would have us see as we think about this particular parable, He uses the wedding feast to evoke those emotions. To pull out what we know to be true about these environments of uh, of, of feasting and celebrating weddings. John Piper said this. He said that what is so uh, disheartening about the state of evangelicalism over the last hundred years is that the emphasis upon the Christian life has been upon obedience and not delight. The emphasis upon the Christian life has been upon obedience and not delight. And Jesus here is coming to us with this parable. And this is what he is saying. When you really look at the original language, what you're seeing in these first couple verses, verse 2 specifically, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. What we're seeing there is that this is supposed to be taken in its present tense. Meaning this, the kingdom of heaven right now is like a wedding feast. 
we don't just look forward to the day where we're going to see, like we're ending our service today with Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, that talks about this future reality where we are God's bride and he is the husband and he is wooing us into eternity and we're inviting him to come as a bride would invite her husband to come as she trusts all that he is. Just as that whole dynamic is happening in marriage, God is showing us that that is the dynamic of his kingdom. But even further, it's not just a future reality we're looking towards. But what the Bible is showing us here in this, in this passage is that the kingdom of heaven right now, what you are experiencing in the coming of the Son of Jesus, Jesus Christ came and he was here with the people. He was among the Jews, the Jews being the people of God who were set apart from all of eternity so that God would be glorified among all the nations. God's plan in the book of Genesis was that he would bless and identify his people and love them ferociously, sacrificially with this uh, Old Testament, the words hesed. It's like this merciful covenant, steadfast love. No matter what they did, God set his love upon the, the, the people of God. He set his love upon the people of God and God's kingdom was breaking in like it never had before through this. When we get to Jesus, Jesus is that full culmination of all of that. Jesus is the culmination of Jesus' kingdom breaking in. And Jesus is coming here and he's speaking specifically to the Jews and the Pharisees and the, and the scribes. If, if you guys have been here the last couple of weeks, Jesus is, has been speaking to these people for the past two or three chapters because he wants them to see that like I am the full embodiment of all that God wants to do here and now and on to eternity. I am that. Look at me. Come to me. That's why Jesus says come to me. He doesn't say go to God. He says come to me because he is God. I'm the full embodiment of all the kingdom and as the Jews were rejecting Jesus, Jesus is coming here and he's saying you say you're a part of the kingdom of God but you're not because you're not producing its fruit. And the very embodiment and culmination of all that God is doing in the world is happening through me and my ministry, Jesus is saying. And he's saying, as as you reject me, you're rejecting the Father and His kingdom. But on the flip side, this is an invitation for us and an opportunity for us. And Jesus is teaching us to show us here is that like we're not just looking forward to a future reality, but the kingdom of heaven here and now is like a wedding feast. How amazing is that? The kingdom is like a wedding feast. So today I want to talk specifically about this, that God rejoices in his son and he invites others into their Trinitarian celebration of a wedding. God rejoices in his son and he invites others, he invites you and me into their, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Trinitarian celebration and feast. That is this wedding that we're called up in. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding. How is the kingdom like a wedding? Because number one, it is a proclamation and a celebration of the love of God. As you have seen in every person that's gone before me, man, I look at some of these couples. Downstairs is a good example. You get downstairs, you meet some of the families or the, the, the husbands and wives down there. They're, I think the youngest member of their congregation is 55. And you're just standing in the amongst of all these saints who have been married for 50 years. And I'm I honestly walking there. I'm just like, I just need to be quiet and just listen to these people talk. Because they've got so much wisdom. It's beautiful. They've been together. God's, done a, God's used them in their life. You know, and, and, and the reason why I think most marriages make it is they understand this. Covenantal love. Covenantal love. What Jesus is showing us here in this passage is that 
covenantal love put on display that is celebrated at the very beginning of a marriage, a relationship, someone getting married. I met Logan and Abby. They're two, two and a half years in, two and a half years in the marriage. Man, I'll say this just as a side note. Where I have experienced Christ at his fullness is in my marriage. Because there in that arena, you're given an opportunity for all of your sin to be exposed in all of its fullness. Number two, you're given an arena to show grace when your spouse doesn't deserve it. Number three, you're given a partner to have a sleepover with every night and read the Bible. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And it's, it's, a, it's a great thing. And, and Jesus is showing us here, it's, the kingdom of heaven is like this wedding feast. It's like this. It is a celebration of this marriage. It is a celebration of what we all experience here. The joy, the anticipation, the expectation of the kingdom of God is found just like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. God the Father, I want to show you the parallel here, is God the Father looks upon us and he's celebrating the marriage that his son is entering into. That's the kingdom of heaven. The glory of God put on the full display when Jesus says, that is my bride. I'm doing marriage counseling with all of these couples getting married right now. And one session that we always have is theology of marriage. We go through the Bible. We just outline the whole biblical narrative of what marriage is about. And I'm so fascinated that it begins and ends with a wedding, but then also situated right in the middle of the Bible. you got Song of Solomon, just beautiful love letter of this shepherd boy and his wife. And then you've got this other uh, book situated called Hosea. The very beginning of Hosea. They make no bones about it. They get right down to it from the very beginning. Listen, God tells Hosea to go marry this prostitute on the street, not because of anything that she had done, but because God says, this is what I'm going to do with my people. And the kingdom of heaven is this celebration, this wedding feast of this holy, beautiful gospel mystery that we have in, in Christ, that Christ, before the foundation of the world, set his love upon his bride, those who were broken, those who were charlatans, those who were harlots and whores and prostitutes, everything in between. Jesus has set his love upon us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. This is the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Jesus is wanting these scribes and these Pharisees and these Jews to understand. Listen, all of your religion for the last three, uh, 3,000 years or how many years from the time of Moses, all of your religion that you've mustered up and built up and you thought I was all about this obedience, what I really wanted is I wanted your heart. I wanted you to see that I loved you and because of the love that's been set upon you, you can love me and be in holy, beautiful matrimony for the rest of eternity. That is the kingdom of heaven. Yet the, the scribes and the Pharisees were rejecting God and they were rejecting Him by rejecting Jesus. And Jesus comes and He continues what He's been saying for the past few chapters that, listen, bear the fruit of the kingdom of heaven. Bear the fruit of the kingdom of heaven and you will be invited and welcomed into this beautiful wedding feast. I really want us today to settle upon a couple of things. I want us mainly to settle upon the affections that are experienced in a wedding. Because what you see outlined over the next few verses in this particular parable is a response to God's invitation to enter into this wedding feast. 
you see, you see the responses of the people and Jesus outlines different responses to his invitation. And I want to look at that and I want you to think about your heart. Number one, before we look at those, I want to say this, that the invitation to be a part of God's kingdom and to enter into all that God has for us, this beautiful celebratory uh, wedding feast, the, the, or the Revelation uses the language of a banquet. All that that is, this is an invitation for all. And I want to teach here a little bit because this is what we believe as a church. When we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we believe is that the gospel is sufficient for the entire world, number one. And what I mean by that is that the gospel is a call to every sinner at every point in history, in every nation, with no um, exclusivity to come to Christ and to be healed and receive salvation and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be used for the glory of God and experience overwhelming, endless pools of joy in your soul like you never have before. It is an extension and it is an invitation to every person who has ever lived. However, while the gospel is totally sufficient for the whole world and that we can proclaim that to every living creature, I love Mark, and I've said this before, Mark, at the end of his gospel, he takes it a little bit further than Matthew. Matthew's like, go and make disciples of all nations. Mark says, go and preach the gospel to all of creation. I love that. He takes it like the next step level, uh, which is so uh, uh, characteristic of Mark because of just how harsh and to the point he is with all that he's teaching in his, in his gospel. But though the gospel is totally sufficient for some, this is what we can know is that though the call is to everybody, many are called. Everyone is called. But few are chosen, meaning that the gospel is efficient for some. That's what we believe. If you want to know a summation of our theology is that we are all about the gospel going forward to all of the nation. The good news of Jesus Christ is salvation for every nation and for all people. But the power of the gospel is also felt there. He doesn't leave it into our hands. But instead, the power of the gospel is efficient for some, meaning that that which God wanted to accomplish on the cross, He accomplished he accomplished our salvation. Meaning that God didn't leave your salvation in His hands. Instead, He called you and He chose you. Many are called and few are chosen. The gospel is sufficient for the whole world. Everyone can hear it. Everyone can believe upon Christ. Yet it's efficient for some in that God bought the faith of those who would believe. He accomplished it. He didn't leave it up to triviality. He didn't leave it up to our own human decision and error. But instead, as we see in uh, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42 says that his glory is for no other. He's not leaving the, the outcome of his kingdom into our hands. He doesn't uh, grace us with an opportunity to believe. He imparts in us the faith to believe and take hold of the gospel. He gives us that. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says that by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. This is a gift of God so that no one may boast. What the gift of God is in the original language is the grace through faith. It's not grace. It's the great grace through faith. The gift is God's grace giving you something you don't deserve while at the same time giving you the faith to take hold of it. That's the gospel. The good news of Jesus. Which, which tells you this about it. That the, the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. It's not a logical, cool argument. It's not something that, hey, listen, I have come up in my infinite wisdom. God's not saying I've come up in my infinite wisdom 
with this beautiful plan that's going to um, be beautiful to all people. No, he says, listen, I've come up with a plan before the foundation of the world to make alive dead hearts. The gospel is sufficient for the world. Every person can hear it. Every person can believe. The gospel is efficient for some. Only those who have been saved will believe. We're zealous after that as a church. And the reason why is because it puts all the power of the gospel in God's hands. All of it. Nothing's left, um, nothing's left up to us other than to um, follow him, live with him, to see that the power of God has saved us and to walk with him on through our life. We're going to get to that in a second. So the, the gospel is sufficient for all and it's efficient for some. And those whom he, it is efficient for, in that those whom God has saved in the power of the gospel, he gives what this scripture would say, this wedding garment. It's a wedding garment. I love what Matthew Henry says about the wedding garment. He says this. He says, the wedding garment in that what we can know about this is it's our invitation and our ticket in the door to be at the wedding feast is this. It is the righteousness of Christ imputed to you through, through his death and resurrection and it is the sanctification wrought inside of you by the Holy Spirit. The wedding garment is the beautiful suit and tie you're putting on as you go to the wedding feast and Jesus has given it to you to wear. The righteousness of Christ. The scripture says in Proverbs 8 that God was with Jesus for all of eternity. That uh, We saw in uh, Isaiah chapter 42 that God's delight was His Son. He is altogether lovely. He is beautiful. The Father loves Him. Has set His seal upon Him. Has given Him the full righteousness of God Himself. And Jesus was sent down into our humanity, our reality. Walked among us. Died upon a cross and took our sin upon His shoulders so that we could take His righteousness upon our shoulders. He was the animal sacrificed to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. He was the coat of many colors placed upon Joseph in Genesis. He was the blood that was shed on the altar in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. He was the sacrificial offering made over and over and over again in the Old Testament looking and waiting for this ultimate perfect Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist comes and says just that. He says, look at the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Because in the gospel we get the full imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus looks upon you in your filth and your sin. Ezekiel 16 is a beautiful picture of that. Ezekiel 16 says you were wallowing in your own blood apart from Christ. You were in a ditch. You were abused and you are abused because you deserved it. You were hurt and you were hurt because you deserved it. But God, being rich in mercy, even when you were wallowing in your own blood and you didn't want Him, He picked you up. And the Scripture even says that He dressed you and He cleaned you up and He put, a, he put the wedding garment on you. That's what we have in the Gospel. And this is twofold here. Number one, it is a reality that regardless of our life, we have in Christ. But number two, it is a reality that is worked out in our life through the Holy Spirit, sanctification by the Spirit. If we claim to be filled and covered with the wedding garment, the imputed righteousness of Christ, then number two, we simultaneously uh, proclaim and believe that Jesus is sanctifying us by His Spirit right now, which leaves no persistence in sin. 
It leaves no room for me to say, guess what? I'm a Christian and I'm going to continue living a life of immorality and sensuality and temporal pleasures until I go to be with Jesus. It leaves no room for that. But instead, by the power of the gospel, Jesus has given us His Spirit to show us that this wedding garment we've placed on, we're going to be on this ever-walking journey towards the wedding feast. And when we get there, we're going to be spotless and holy and blameless. And you're going to feel that right now. Right now. I would tremble if you sit here today and you love your sin more than Jesus. Because that is not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is Jesus filling us with these entirely new desires, these new affections that say, wow, Lord, look at the death and sin that I lived in. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, having the tools and the power through Christ to kill our sin, to put to death the deeds of the body and live according to life. Romans 8 says that if we are to put to death the body, or if we're to live now because of Christ, because of the fact that He has set His seal upon us, and He has said in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, then we can look at verse 2 and look at verse 3 in Romans 8 and says, to set the, the mind on the things of the flesh is death. That understanding comes through the sanctification by the Spirit. And then verse 3 follows and says, no, but not just that, but to set the mind on, on the Spirit is life. That is our new reality now in Christ. This new understanding that, listen, I don't have to live in death anymore. That I've been washed in my mind. I've been renewed in my body. And I'm constantly going back to Him and receiving these new mercies every single day because Jesus has saved me. He's not just saved me, but He's given me the faith to be saved. And He's going to keep me and preserve me. Not because of anything that I've done before His own glory. And when you get to the end of this passage, the king was angry when he looked at the feast and there were some in his midst who had no wedding garment. Matthew Henry says this, that as many come, and let's just think about our experience here. Many have come. Many have come to be a part of our midst. We've had people visit say they're going to be a part, and then you never see them again. And even further, we've had people here, and I believe that there's some here right now as I'm preaching that come here on a regular basis. But if I'm honest with you, man, I don't know if you're in Christ. I don't know if you've got the wedding garment. And the reason why I would say that, I say that, number one, in love, but number two, I say that because I don't see the fruit in your life at all. I don't see the delight. I don't see the joy that is erupting in your heart. I mean, how can we stand here, guys, and sing, Great is the Lord? How can we sing this reality that all the earth will shout the praise of Jesus and not be utterly consumed with that reality? How can we do that? How hardened is our heart? Now, what am I saying? If you walk in here today and you feel like you don't have an ounce of faith to give the Lord, it's okay because it's not your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. Jesus saves you no matter how much faith you got. And God doesn't bestow the blessings of His kingdom based upon how much faith ammunition you got available to give. He doesn't do that. 
But it says, He gives the fullness of His kingdom to those who have any faith whatsoever. The Scripture says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you'll be able to do great things for the kingdom of God. What is that saying? That the, the, the works of the kingdom are not in the faith, but it's in the Lord. It's in what Jesus is wanting to do. And as we believe through the gospel that God uses us for His glory. But here's the thing. Do you have any faith? Because to believe the gospel is to bear fruit of that belief in the gospel. We talked about that last week. What Jesus is, is speaking against in Matthew chapter 21 as we build up to the wedding feast passage is the fact that the gospel is not bearing fruit in your life. Listen, I'm going to take the kingdom from you Jews and Pharisees and scribes and I'm going to give it to the prostitutes and the tax collectors because it's not bearing fruit in your life. And then we get to the wedding feast and he says, listen, there's going to be some who think that they're going to be welcomed into the wedding banquet feast for eternity, but they won't have a wedding garment on. What does that say? It says that there's going to be some hypocrites in our midst that don't believe the gospel. That's happened before. And this is what I can know with, with full confidence is that if we as a church create a community that is totally centered upon Christ, then those who have not truly repented and believed the gospel will not be able to stand it. And they won't be able to stay. Because it's not about us, it's about the glory of Jesus. And if you're not all about the glory of Jesus through the gospel, then you can't persist in that type of environment. You just can't. But if you have the wedding garment, the imputed righteousness of Christ, and by the power of the gospel are seeking to put to death the deeds of the body, not because of not because of what you've done, the moral fervor that you have in your heart, but because of the, the beauty of Christ and the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're seeking to put the death, the deeds of the body. You can be confident. Jesus is with you. He's walking with you. He'll preserve you. And one day you'll stand before Him and you won't have a suit on that's dirty. It'll be spotless, clean white. It'll be clean pressed. I used to work at Wells Fargo Advisors and I used to always struggle because all these guys had all these all this money to go and like press their suits every day. And I'm just walking in with like this half wrinkled shirt and I'm like, man, I feel like I'm I don't know what I feel like, but I'm struggling right now. Like I'm not, I feel like I'm not worth anything. That ain't how we walk in because we get the suit of Christ. We get the wedding garment of Christ. The wedding garment from the Father. I mean, we, we see that in Genesis that Jacob throws his throws his, uh, the coat of many colors, that which was his prized possession, upon, upon Joseph. Not because of who Joseph was, just because it's what God wanted him to do. It's the grace of God towards us. <clears throat> Two more things I want to bring up as we conclude here. <clears throat> Number one, verse four, Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves. They've been slaughtered. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. Now look at this verse. And this should scare us, man. It should make us just tremble here. Verse five. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. You know what I see here? Indifference. Individuals who are invited to the wedding feast of the king 
Individuals who have, who have heard the call of the gospel, who know the ins and outs of what God is doing in the world, yet they are indifferent towards His kingdom. Maybe that's your heart here this morning. If it is, I'll just encourage you. Look to Christ. I, saw, I preached this probably about a, about a year ago about gazing upon Christ, beholding the Lamb of God. And this is what I said. I said, if you don't see the glory and the beauty of the Lord in the gospel, look to Him anyways. If you don't see that God in Christ is much uh, more worthy than, than, than you can imagine, if He's worthy of your worshiping, look to Him until you see it. If you sit here with faith and you say, listen, as we sing these songs, man, I see these young people raising their hands. I see that crazy loon in the back named Alex like shouting during worship. Like, what is he doing? Why is he doing that? And you don't see it yet? If you will, if you will persist and you will follow Jesus and you will continue to seek after him and you will dive into community, you will see an altogether lovely Savior. You'll, give the, you'll be given this new... Uh, framework to think about the kingdom of God in this is that it's not about obedience, but it's about the delight that I experience. Because we're trending toward this reality now. We're trending towards a reality that says, one day I'm going to be at the wedding feast, at the banquet. And right now, Ephesians chapter 1 says that we've been given these first fruits to understand that. These little moments of uh, gospel bombs, I like to call them. Where we're little Hiroshima's and here comes the, the plane over the top, drops these atomic bombs of joy and love and excitement and revelation into our hearts. You know what I'm talking about. Acts chapter 3 calls it times of refreshing. But now in Christ, there's these times that we're going to experience because of the Spirit where we're just totally refreshed. It could also be called revival. Where we're singing, we've been singing this song for our entire life. We've sung Great Are You, Lord, probably about 30 times since we planted this church. But it doesn't get old. Do you know why? Because the, the Spirit's there. Jesus is inhabiting our praise. He's walking with us. And He's showing us, hey, listen, the kingdom was like a wedding feast. All the joy, the anticipation, the expectation, all the beauty and the love and the covenantal hesed of fire of love that's shown to us in a wedding. I'm, I'm doing that with my people. And we're trending towards that reality. And then these little moments that we get to encounter right now are just those encouragement that the Spirit gives us, that sanctification through the Spirit that we experience. These little moments where we have the eyes to see, wow, this is, this is reality. This celebration, this joy, this is our reality. The Scripture talks about in Matthew. I am totally convinced that Matthew looked at the Jews and he looked at the scribes and the Pharisees and he wanted them to see that, man, what you understand about God, you haven't even begun to grasp it yet. You haven't even begun to grasp it yet. If you only knew what I knew when I look at Christ and I see who He is, that He's the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world, that He is God, the Lord of Lords, that He's the one in Philippians 2 that says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Everything in creation is for the glory of Jesus. And we're trending towards that day. Matthew is trying to show them He's trying to show his readers, specifically a Jewish reader, that listen, Jesus is the culmination of all that you know about God. This great grand vision you have about God the Father, well, Jesus is the full revelation of all of that. Jesus is the full manifestation of the glory of God. 
Look to him, follow him, seek him. And it doesn't matter how you've been trained in religion, and it doesn't matter how many layers of hypocrisy you have through the power of the gospel, you can seek to put the deeds of the death that is in your flesh and you can follow Christ and experience new life like you never have. If you will simply believe in Christ, he'll put the wedding garment on you and he'll present you holy and blameless before him one day. I want to end with this. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. It says this. This is the church reality now. Revelation 22, 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. That's the Christian life here. It is the church coming alongside the Spirit, or the Spirit in the church coming alongside it, saying, Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast, and we're trending towards that day. Oh, Lord, come. Make this our new reality. We know that this is the kingdom. Come in all of your fullness. Make this your reality. We are your bride. You are our husband. And verse 20 in Revelation 22 says, He who testifies to these things says this, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So in conclusion, let me just say this. Let us put on the garment. Let us put on the wedding garment. Let us run to Christ, and He will clothe us with His righteousness. His coat of many colors. Let us go for the King into the world as His servants that we see here. One thing I always do when I'm going into a sermon, I kind of highlight those key words. And one thing that we see is that part of this mystery here, this parable, is that God is using his servants to invite the masses to come to him. His servants experience persecution. They experience apathy, which is the worst. Tim Keller says this. Or no, when Keller, it was, uh, I've shared this with you guys before. Arjuna Chigliori, he's an apostle, uh, apostolic type gifted guy, sorry, in India. And he said, when you share the gospel... You have not faithfully shared the gospel unless you have received someone who totally received it or someone who totally rejected it. You have failed in sharing the gospel if someone heard what you said and were like this passage, they were indifferent. Let it seek to make his name known in that type of way, in a way that challenges our lordship and, and, the, and the throne in our hearts, whoever's enthroned there, that challenges the the waves of the culture. Let us go as servants of the King to invite the masses to this beautiful wedding feast that we see and we know we're a part of. Let us ourselves uh, be encouraged and hope in this future reality that we have that is breaking in even as we speak. This wedding feast that we're caught up in that one day we're going to live in the overflow of joy and celebration because of the beautiful holy matrimony we're caught up in. And finally... Let us be found worthy to enter the kingdom of God. That's the major thrust here of Jesus' words, is that he wants to show the readers. Matthew's wanting to show the readers, and Jesus in the context is wanting to show the religious zealots. that Listen, be worthy of this gospel that I'm proclaiming. Live your life in a way through the power of the Holy Spirit that shows everyone and shows Jesus himself that our joy is in him and in him alone. 
Thank you for listening to the Solo City Church podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and empowered to follow Jesus more than you ever have before. For more information about our church, please visit solocitychurch.com.